All right, I'd like to welcome you to Leviticus class, num- Leviticus class number six, I believe it is, Leviticus class six. And we're in Leviticus chapter number five, Leviticus chapter number five and verse number one. And look at this statement that's been made here. And if a soul sin and hear the voice of swearing and is a witness whether he hath seen or known of it, if he do not utter it, then he shall bear his iniquity. Uh, I want you to look carefully. Chapter 5, verse 1. Chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Verse 2 in chapter 6 says, If a soul sin and commit a trespass against the Lord. Now this idea of the soul sinning is an idea that you should very much be familiar with. Especially since in the New Testament we often say, Jesus saved my soul. And it's a very great statement. It's a very it's a statement that... Uh, I guess what what we call theologians, Bible students should be, uh, I, I should say all Christians should really be mindful of the fact that the sin is a, is is not just a fleshly thing, although the flesh is very in tune with the world and very in tune with the with the baser lust that we catch through the eye. We see things that we want. The flesh really has to have those things. Our discontentment comes from that sort of thing. All sorts of things like that there are to be considered. But really the the detriment of sin has its effect in the soul. And that a person gets darker and darker and darker. The Bible says evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. And really that's a, that is a, it's it's not necessarily an indictment, but it is. Well, it is. It's an indictment against the soul. It's an indictment against our well-being. It's it's as if the judge had said had had uh, had sentenced you to prison. That's the physical sense of it. When a man sins, it's the soul that sins. It, there is a there's an offense against that soul that draws it into a darker place, a darker place. The Bible says that all the, the sins that men do, they're without. He said, but when a man commits fornication, it's a sin against the body. Well, that's a great illustration that can be used to explain also the fact that, or, or the effect that sin in general has on a person. It's not just affecting this flesh. It goes to the soul, to the to the to the deeper uh, existence of man, his personality, his bitterness, his joy, his happiness—all these things that are coming from the inside. When you sin, it's an offense against the inside of who you are. The sin, uh, as far as the verse of scripture we just talked about, every sin that a man doeth is without the body. Well. That is a that is a comment that deals with sins being actions, sin be, sin being uh, uh, effective on the outside. Their performances, their actions that are done uh, on the outside. If you gamble, you're taking something from somebody. If you steal, you're taking something from somebody. If you gamble, you may be losing something for yourself or some of your or, or for your family. There are the sins that have an outward effect, and they they affect other people, and they have uh, a harshness and a a destroying effect on others. Not only others, I believe you can sin. And live in great sin and your house be affected by it. I'm not talking about your household, the people who live in it. I, I believe that I've been in some places that were 
that it was dumpy and dirty and even the the dilapidation of the structure itself i believe that has a great deal to do with sin and there's no question about that that sins are without the body you sin against yourself though when you commit fornication it 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 does something to your own body and it breaks it down i believe many of the broken down bodies that there are in our day and age is is uh, in the past there certainly were things events that are common to all men that cause men to be sickly or whatever the case might be whether it be the plague or black death or dirty living conditions in the city of new york or philadelphia in the colonial age i understand all that sin has always been around people have always lived in in a poor and uh, poor state a poor condition even the richest of men have been found to be living in in uh, basically you just describe it as squalor uh, living as if they had no money at all but at any rate what i'm trying to get across to you is that when you sin whether it's fornication or any other it affects the soul and the soul degrades and the soul is made weak and the soul is made sick and so the bible doesn't say when a man sins he says if a soul sin we'll do more study on that at a later date we'll put together some things about the old testament covenant with abraham we'll study a lot of stuff to do with that but the soul sins that's why in the new testament we say god saved our soul god has saved us body soul and spirit the body is waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of the body romans chapter 8 ephesians chapter 1 we certainly are waiting for that to take place in the body god will make our vile bodies to be like his glorious body that'll be a great and a wonderful day but we're saved body soul and spirit paul says in first thessalonians chapter 5 that our body our soul and our spirit be preserved blameless and so that's a wonderful thing but the 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 doctrinal aspect of that is that our soul and our spirit are not only saved but they're sealed by the holy spirit so that sin can no longer separate us from the covenant the bible talks about the circumcision made without hands and of course that comes through that circumcision made without hands is is part of that imputed righteousness and that imputed righteousness brings us to the position where that soul that sin can no longer uh, degrade and damn our souls so that the thing that draws a christian back down into grief a thing that draws a christian back down in depression is not the degradation of his soul but it's the degradation of his relationship with the the one who supplies the love and the joy and the peace the fruits of the spirit once that gets cut off for for a christian then the the lord deprives the flesh of those things that we desire most love joy peace long-suffering goodness gentleness kindness all these things between the fruits of the spirit and those divine attributes of second peter chapter one if if we're starved from those things it's not because our soul has been degraded our soul is sealed till the day of redemption but it's the fruits of the spirits that's been cut off to the flesh and the flesh will go back to a very degraded a very degraded existence and a christian can be eat up with bitterness that's why paul tells us to stay away from from a root of bitterness 
And so uh, a lot of these things uh, should be should be uh, some of the basic understandings that a Christian has and acquires in his discipleship. But even back in the Old Testament, you see that the, that sin's damage to man is going directly to his soul. When Adam disobeyed God, that sin went right to his soul. And God knew he was a dead man from that point. And when we're saved and born again, we're to reckon ourselves to be dead. Adam died through sin. The Christian is to die through salvation. He's to reckon himself to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive towards God, alive to serve God, alive to, to submit himself to God. He, he has an ability that Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and Joshua didn't have, and that's to be replugged in soul and spirit to the giver of life. And so that giver of life produces love and joy and peace, whereas the death that Adam received it brought grief and brought shame and brought death. It's a very opposite thing when you're dealing with Christ, who is the last Adam, and Adam, who is the original sinner. And so these things are found here. If a soul sin and hear a voice of swearing. Now, we, we made a, a few minutes worth of comments about this a matter of the soul and sin. Now we need to kind of switch gears and get into the actual context of the chapter itself. If a soul sin and hear the voice of swearing and is a witness, whether he hath seen or known of it, if he do not utter it, then he shall bear his iniquity. You do, you, you gain the results of sin. You reap sin not just in things that you do, but in things you may omit. Uh, honesty is a good work. We think of good works like tithing and going to church service or stuff like this. It goes much deeper than that. The existence of man is much more than just doing rituals. It's being honest. And there's a lot of men who go through rituals, but they're still liars. And they open their mouth when they shouldn't, or they close their mouth when they should open it. And they, they don't stand for the truth. That they're not getting involved. I'm just not going to get involved. I'm not going to say anything bad about that. I just want to be a help. And it, Well, you should open your mouth and tell the truth. It's not always going to be popular. And you can find uh, nice or whatever you want to be. If you want to be nice about it. If you want to be, it doesn't really matter what you be. You be honest. You be true. And if you, if you carry the Spirit of God with you, the Lord will let you know and lead you and guide you about whether to be nice or stern or uh, hateful or uh, chastising or encouraging or edifying. The Lord can teach you how and when to be that. But this idea of I'm not going to get involved or I'm not going to say nothing about that or that's not my ants to grind, that's none of your business. Your business ought to be truth if you're a child of God. And this is what he's talking about here. If, uh, if you heard a man swear to something, and you don't say anything about it, when the time comes to say something about it, you're going to bear your iniquity. And these, are, this, when you're talking about the law, which is what Leviticus is, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, we call those books the law. It certainly is. It's, these books that are written by Moses, 
Uh, he said, well, there's not much about the law in the book of Genesis. It's a law unto itself. It's, it's the law of creation. It's the law that guides uh, our mindset. It, it's the law that says, I need to follow God. Why? Because he made heaven and earth. It's legally his. It's nothing uh, disconnected from the law about the book of Genesis. At any rate, let's move on. I digress from that a little bit. He says, uh, he, if he's seen it or known of it, and he do not utter it, then he shall bear his iniquity. It's not somebody else's iniquity. Somebody else swore and went back against it. That's their sin. You didn't say it. Up. You didn't say anything about it. You didn't testify about it. That's your. That's your trespass. His business just became your business. And I've heard so many Christians say, "Well, I'm just going to mind my own business." Well, in a lot of cases, you should mind your own business. But when it affects you. And when it's going to offend your own conscience and allow you to become more of a compromiser by not saying anything. And it's going to serve a good purpose and it's going to defend somebody else's right or somebody else's, uh, somebody else's ability to get a, a justice done to them. It's your responsibility to open your mouth. If you don't, it's a sin. Now let's move on. Or if a soul touch any unclean thing, whether it be a carcass of an unclean beast or a carcass of an unclean cattle... Or the carcass of uh, carcass of unclean creeping things, or if it be hidden from him, he also should be unclean and be guilty. Or if he touch the uncleanness of man, whatsoever uncleanness it be, that a man shall be defiled withal, and it be hid from him when he knoweth of it, then he shall be guilty. A lot of times you don't know you're guilty, but when you find out you're guilty, well, I'm not going to do anything about that. It's not my fault. God didn't say whose fault it was. He said, when you find out you've done something wrong, you bear your guilt. And of course, if you're bearing guilt as a, as a Christian, if you're bearing guilt as a lost man, the only thing you can do is get it under the blood. Ask God to save you from it. If you're a Christian, you find out you've been doing something wrong, do the, it's, the same, it's the same repose. It's the same, uh, it's the same uh, remedy. You ask God to forgive you. Lord, I didn't know I was doing that wrong. I pray you'd forgive me and help me. Sorry I was so stupid. <laughs> Sorry I didn't know about it. Uh, so many things I disagree with that other preachers or other religious people think about this, that, or the other. And I disagree with them. But at the same time I disagree. I say, Lord, help me to see. There may be something I don't see. The things that I do see, uh, I I can't help but see them that way. I pray you'd give me the truth and help me learn the truth. And I do that with everything. I believe the King James Bible is the word of God. But if it can be proven otherwise, prove it to me. I believe in eternal security. I believe it with all my heart. But if it can be proven otherwise, I'm not going to stick with the King James just because it's the King James. I'm not just going to keep, stick with eternal security just because I believe it or just because one of my preachers preached it. No, I'm, I've found reasonable proof. I, I'm not a novice. I've been saved for a long time. I've been saved for more than 40 years. I've been saved a long time. I've read the Bible a few times. I've been studying a long time. I already see the proofs there. But if I'm wrong... And I could have been studying the Bible for 80 years and been wrong. But I'm willing, to, I'm willing to have the right position above the position that I now have. Well, I once believed in the gap theory. I wanted it to be true. I wanted it to be true. It's wonderful. It's something extra. It's something spectacular. I don't believe it anymore because it's not true. 
Many things I've said. I used to believe that the devil's original position was above the throne of God. Heard a preacher say that. Sounded right. Looked right. Had a verse of scripture for it. Wow. That's crazy how the devil could fall so far. Only thing, only problem with it is it's not true. And I'm not going to sit around and cry because I had to change my position. I was so attached to the position. Not, I'm not going to go that route. I'm going to read the Bible and God, please show me what's right and what's true. And if somebody come up and show me an infallible truth about something that I didn't understand or see before and I had a different position, I'd be glad to change my position. Be glad to do it. Be glad to do it. Be glad to do it. I would change from being a Baptist preacher to a Catholic priest if somebody could show me from God's word that it was the way it ought to be. I'm fully convinced from the Bible that it's not the way it ought to be and don't intend to change anytime soon. But I'm a Christian. I'm a Baptist, no doubt about that. I'm a Baptist preacher, but I'm a Christian. In that capacity, I'm not a preacher. I'm just a Christian. God's my maker. God is my savior. And I owe it to him to come out on his side. So when I find out I've done something wrong, I'd be glad to change it. That's the attitude that God is trying to implement. He's commanding it here through the law. Now I'm allowed to do it and I have the freedom and liberty to do it because I have the Holy Spirit in me. I've got the liberty of God living in me. I can disconnect from a position just like taking a trailer hitch off the back of my truck. Can do it easy. All All I have to do is have the word from God. And well, somebody's going to get mad at you. You may not keep all the friends that you have now. Uh, that'd be that'd be terrible. I, I don't want to lose any friends. I don't, there's no bravado involved. I'm not trying. I'll stand against anybody. And I'm, no, it'd be very grieving, very sad for me to lose friends. But I have lost them before. Uh, people will ridicule you. I've been ridiculed before. I like Ian Paisley, before he died, they said, well, you've got a lot of ridicule. And he said, well, I've got big shoulders. I can handle that. Well, I don't have big shoulders, but I pray God would help me bear up under the burden of it because you just stand, you have to stay with the truth. And if the crowd gets smaller, it's already a small crowd. I can deal with that. I've pastored a small church before. I can deal with it. Uh, but I can't deal with this. I, I don't want to go to heaven and, and stand before my maker and have it be past judgment against me that I took the side of the Baptist over God or the or that I took the side of Peter S. Ruckman or Carl Lackey or Ian Paisley or Martin Lloyd-Jones or any other preacher that I've listened to and learned some things from that I took their side over God's. I've learned... I've learned lots of things from many different backgrounds. I've learned things from Martin Luther. I've learned things from uh, Spurgeon. I've learned, uh, not, I don't have much association with Spurgeon at all, but I've read some of his material. He's got some truth. Uh, Erasmus, I've read some of his material and learned some things. Uh, Tyndale, uh, different men like that throughout the history of Christianity. I've read their things and I've learned some things from them. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a Presbyterian. Ian Paisley, a Presbyterian. Uh, uh, different, man, uh, different men throughout history. Francis Asbury, a Methodist. Uh, I've heard some of their sayings. I've heard some of the, their gleanings. Jonathan Edwards, I've read some of their materials. And I've learned something from a lot of different men. That's just because God is, I, I believe that God is the author of the truth they were teaching. And many things they were messed up in. And uh, 
there's many things that I could be messed up about. But all I know now is, is that I believe the truth. I believe the Bible. And if God wanted to show me something that I'm wrong about, I'd be willing to change it. And if it put me on one side and in allegiance with one man and put me against another man, I'd just have to take that as it comes and just take the labels that go with it. But most of the time, if you're able to agree with several different people of opposing thoughts, if you're able to agree with more than one of them, you're called a compromiser. Well, be that as it may. Verse number four, if a soul swear, pronouncing with his lips to do evil or to do good, whatsoever it be that a man shall pronounce with an oath, and it be hid from him when he knoweth of it, then he shall be guilty of one of these. If you swear bad or swear good, you better do it. That's what it says. When you find out you're guilty, make it right. Now, you should repent of the evil. You understand that and do, the, do right and good uh, as, as you've made your oath. And we'll get to a place where we understand that in some instances there are people who have authority to release you from the oath if they hear about it in time. And there's stipulations on that, but that's a different class, not today's. Uh, moving right along. Uh, this I'm usually able to get through one of these chapters in a session for the book of Leviticus, but I don't know about this one. Verse 5, and it, it shall be... When he shall be guilty in one of these things, that he shall confess that he hath sinned in that thing. And he shall bring his trespass offering unto the Lord. Now, this Christ is your trespass offering. But in the Old Testament, they had to offer a trespass offering for when they had committed one of these sins. And as we go through the law and you read about these different sacrifices, Christ is our sacrifice. Christ is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He is our sin offering. He is our peace offering. He's our trespass offering. All these things Christ fulfilled. Christ is all in all and he fulfilled all. In him, you're, the Bible says in him you're complete. You are complete in him who is the head of principality and power. Verse number 6, And he shall bring his trespass offering unto the Lord for his sin which he hath sinned, a female from the flock, a lamb, or a kid of the goats for a sin offering, and the priest shall make an atonement for him concerning his sin. And if he be not able to bring a lamb, then he shall bring for the... I'm glad the Lord uh, has provided for those who can't bring their own sacrifice. We're going to make it easy. Uh, You don't have a lamb? Bring a turtle dove. You have no offering to bring? Trust Christ. The Lord gave you a a great substitute, did he not? If he be not able to bring a lamb, then he shall bring for his trespass, which he hath committed, two turtle doves or two young pigeons unto the Lord, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And he shall bring them unto the priest, who shall offer that which is for the sin offering first, the sin offering first. You take care of your sin first. Then you take care of the other. The other what? Whatever. Whether you're asking God a petition, whether you're trying to make intercession for others, whatever it is that you're trying to do, take care of your sins first. You say, well, I'm a Christian. I don't have any sins. Well, John said if we, he was a Christian, he included himself. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Well, he's talking about lost people. Well, if he's talking about lost people, what is he saying we for? He's not lost. Well, the church age, well, this is not a dispensational issue. Jesus Christ died for sins. John was one of his disciples. John was one of the founders of the church. John was, John was a major player. And he said, when we sin, or if we say we don't have any sin, we deceive ourselves. 
But he said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. And the context of that very statement in, in 1 John 1 is our fellowship with the Lord. And when we come to fellowship with the Lord through prayer, the first thing we do is confess our sins. Then he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The result there is fellowship. Fellowship. If we say we, if we do his will, if we're walking as we ought to walk, if we're confessing our sins, that passage says we have fellowship one with the other. He said if we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. There's no darkness in him. Your fellowship is cut off by a lack of confession, a lack of a lack of conversion will send you to hell. A lack of confession will send you to grief, even if you are a Christian. So he says, if you be not able to bring a lamb, then he shall bring for his trespass, which he hath committed two turtle doves or two young pigeons unto the Lord, one for a burnt offering and the other for a, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And he shall bring them unto the priest who shall offer that which is for the sin offering first and wring off his head from his neck, but he shall divide it asunder. But he, excuse me, I apologize, but shall not divide it asunder. And he shall sprinkle of the blood of the sin offering upon the side of the altar, and the rest of the blood shall be wrung out at the bottom of the altar. It is a sin offering. And he shall offer the second for a burnt offering according to the manner of the priest shall make an atonement for him for his sin, which he hath sinned, and it shall be forgiven him. But if it be not able to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, then he that sins shall bring for his offering the tenth part of an ephah of fine flour for a sin offering. He shall put no oil upon it, neither shall he put any frankincense thereon, for it is a sin offering. You don't, uh, you, we covered in our, math, uh, our Matthew class, our Matthew survey class, about not putting uh, a patch, a new piece of a, of material in an old garment and you don't put new wine in old bottles because it just, what you need is something new and he says here you don't put oil on a sin offering because that, that oil is a type of the spirit you put the blood on the sin offering you put the fire on the sin offering you judge the sin you have an atonement for the sin you anoint what's left after you get saved you take care of the sin problem then you anoint the new creature you put the holy spirit on the new man you don't put the the holy spirit on the the man who has no covenant in the old testament you have a case where god put his covenant on abraham and was enabled was then able to anoint his children was able to touch his children but that was for the sake of another not for their own sake. In their own sake, they're sinners. In Abraham's sake, he was he was not he was not only had imputed righteousness, but that anointment, that atonement, that that imputation of God's righteousness made him a fit subject of God's pleasure and of God's promises, so that his children could come along and be safe under the covenant under him. It's a complete and total type of new testament salvation which should have been which god did in his mercy to teach us what great salvation we have today so let's move on here uh, verse number 13 and the priest shall make an atonement for him as touching his sin that he hath sinned in one of these 
and it shall be forgiven him, and the remnant shall be the priest as a meat offering. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, If a soul commit a trespass and sin through ignorance in the holy things of the Lord, then shall he bring for his trespass unto the Lord a ram without blemish out of the flocks, with thy estimation by shekels of silver, after the shekel of the sanctuary for a trespass offering. And he shall make amends for the harm that he hath done in the holy thing, and shall add the fifth part thereto, and give it unto the priest, and the priest shall make an atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering, and it shall be forgiven him. Used to be a Christian principle. He shall make amends for the harm. Make restitution. If you've done something wrong to somebody, then try to make it right. Try to do some, Try to make restitution. Make amends for the harm that you've done. And the law makes many requirements about that. If you if you take a lamb, you restore it fourfold. Many such cases of this. You make whatever harm you've done. You try to do enough in return to to take that to uh, minimize to mitigate that. Man, I, this fella caused me to lose one of my sheep, but he gave me four sheep in place. I, man, I don't even remember the sheep that I lost. I've got four now instead of one. That's uh, it's hard to be upset about that. So you make amends for the harm. Whatever you've done to somebody, if you can possibly do it. I understand there's things you've done in your past that I know in my own past I've done things that I can't make an amends for. I can't make amends for it. There's no way I can make it up. But if there's any possible way that you could, you should. There certainly is. There's some people that I've done wrong in my lifetime. Through the course of life, you do things that are stupid and it ends up being harmful to others. Through influence, through actual effects, any of these things can be true. But one thing you can do, and one thing I've tried to do, is, is to go back and think of the people that I've done wrong and pray for them and ask God to help them and be a bad influence. Uh, I've, I have some half-sisters that, uh, that are through my biological father. And he went on and had some other families and he's got other children. And I hadn't always done... Uh, the the very best thing and been the very best person, the very best influence on some of those children and some of the people that are in my family that are a little closer than that, a little closer in, cousins and different things like that. And as far as putting my hands on people and harming people and robbing people and abusing people, haven't done anything like that, but I haven't been the very best example, haven't been the very most sober of individual, hadn't been the best I could be, but I pray now God help them and have mercy on them, and I don't live near them and not around them, but please send them somebody that can be uh, the example that I should have been when I had the opportunity to be that example and to be that person. And, and I could pray that about a lot of people, and so could you. And so you, uh, some things you can do physically, some things you can do spiritually, but you ought to, in some way, make amends for the wrong that you've done. And so he says in verse 17, If a soul sin and commit any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord, though he wished it not, yet is he guilty, and shall bear his iniquity. Whether you know what's wrong or not, you're guilty. And boy, that's a dangerous thought in a day and age where the, the main cry of the church is grace, grace, grace. Don't worry about nothing. Hey, even if you don't know it's wrong, it's still wrong and you're still guilty of it. Well, you know, people are going to die. They never knew the Lord, never knew nothing about the Lord. The Lord ain't going to send them to hell. They're guilty. They're guilty. 
And they could have known. And you go back through the history of mankind, you can't get to any place on this planet, and you can't, and once you get to any place on this planet, no matter how far it is removed from Jerusalem, no matter how far removed it is from the Garden of Eden and the knowledge of the Lord, you came to that place of distance and you came to that place of darkness. No matter how dark your mindset might be, you came to that place of, of darkness by a conscious decision to forget God and to forget His commandments. This man, he knows the law. He's being brought up under the law, but he's sinning a sin that he doesn't know. He's not familiar with it. That's by his own choice. He's guilty. He's guilty. Uh, Cain very well understood, very well understood that it was wrong to kill his brother. Lamech killed a man in self-defense. He very much knew that taking another man's life was a serious issue. So man can't say, well, I was raised in a deep, dark jungle in South America. I never heard the gospel. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Yes, you absolutely did. You could have looked up at the stars one day and said, Man, the, the, the heavens declare God's handiwork. What is this about? And he would have given you an answer because he's a faithful God. But you either didn't ask or you didn't care and you went on in darkness. And that is between you and God. And God says you are guilty. Verse number 18, he shall, bring a man, uh, he shall bring a ram without blemish out of the flock with thy estimation for a trespass offering unto the priest, and the priest shall make an atonement for him concerning his ignorance wherein he erred and wist it not, and it shall be forgiven him. It is a trespass offering. He hath certainly, he hath certainly, it's ignorance, but he hath certainly trespassed against the Lord. All right, we'll pick up next time chapter 6, verse number 1.